Welcome to the Open House Podcast with James Tatum. This podcast is about conversations that we have in the gym. Everything from training methods, technique, massage, and other odd topics that come up. So make sure you subscribe, leave a review. It helps us out. Today we've got Tyree and George here along with myself. How you guys doing? Doing well, coach. Doing well. Good. All right. I'm trying some new stuff today. It's a little new different. stuff. Yeah. Does it pop? Oh, it pops. All right. I mean, oh, what well, is that? Uh, it's rain. I haven't had it in a while. It, it's good. It's a little sweeter. This mm. is the dream sickle flavor. Orange dream sickle. Mm. This and white gummy bear. If you're going rain, dream sickle and white gummy bear. Those are the two. I think of uh, the mountain when I think of that drink. Oh, yeah. Because wasn't That's he good. on like that first commercial? Yep. And he, yeah, well, and he's always wearing rain stuff now. Well, now we're going to lose the Bang sponsorship, Terry. You ruined it. <laughs> hey, you know, <laughs> they were taking too long. Maybe if we let them know we're talking to somebody else, they might start. Well, they, right. they reached out to me. They told me that we needed to wear those bikinis on the show <laughs> um, hey. in order to get the sponsorship. Uh, hey, I've said it before. I've donated I mean, blood for a pack of raisins. I'll, I'll wear whatever for <laughs> Bang sponsorship. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, who was that other guy? Was it the mountain that was doing like a commercial for like bottled water? I think he was. Mm. This was a couple years ago, back when uh, like Game of Thrones was popular, and then he was like in an Icelandic bottled water commercial. Um, and I remember it being pretty funny. I'll have to look that one up. Yeah. That one I'm, might be. I'm worth not shocked. Sharing on a um, on like a story or something. Um, but yeah, it's pretty comical, but I haven't really seen a whole lot of like commercials with him in there anymore. He's, he seems to be, uh, well, he did that boxing match. I don't think he's doing strongman anymore. I think he like retired in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's did right. Him and Eddie Hall. Strongman. Did you hear about what happened or what came out last week? N- nope. I haven't heard that. There, there was a recording that came out basically of the guys who put on world's strongest man saying that if somebody went to their comps and that they helped their brand, that they would let, they would give these guys the type of events that they would want in Strongman and put them in the groups that they want. That way they would have an advantage and that they were going to pay these guys every month. So strong. Well, they're, they're getting pretty good money. Cause what they're aired on ESPN and they have well, not even that it was. So like, there are like two divisions, right? Well, not divisions. This I don't know everything about strongman, but there's the world's strongest man, and then there's like another federation, but the athletes compete in both. And the guy who was in the other one um, told these guys that he would pay them however much a month if they only competed in his federation for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. And then if they did that, when they went to world's strongest man, he would let them, like he would give them events that were favorable for them, and he would let them pick their groups that way they could go against who they wanted to and get points off of that. Yeah, so, I wonder how that'll play out. Um, right. I think I remember watching, like, I, I don't remember, I, I turned on the, I don't watch like traditional TV, but I went and traveled somewhere and I was staying in a hotel and I turned on the TV and I was watching, it wasn't World's Strongest Man, it was some, something else and it was like a competition in Saudi Arabia and it like the production value seemed like a little bit less, uh, but there was some big name strongman people in there, and uh, I just thought it was weird. I forget what it was called, but uh, definitely wasn't as good as World Strongest Man. But they made it seem like they paid the athletes a little bit to like make them come out there and do that competition. Um, I'm sure they've got some extra money to spend on things in Saudi Arabia, right? Um, but. Uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that much just because that sport is so subjective based on what they would choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it doesn't surprise me. Uh, I'm, I'm sure something like that happens in CrossFit as well um, oh, yeah. with like the choices of their workouts. If not on the national stage, then definitely at the local competition stage. I mean, also... We're in weightlifting, so we're just kind of biased and we just know that everybody's corrupt. That's that's that doesn't help. 
You know what I'm curious to see is the production of the European Championships. Do you see where Weightlifting House got the uh, bid yep. for that? That I think that's about, gonna be nice. Yeah, he was saying that they're gonna film the warm up areas just as much as the actual competition platform and kind of follow the athlete around. So it should be pretty interesting to see. Yeah, it sounds a little bit better than uh, just filming the stage. I just actually filming about the stage for that. is so boring mm-hmm. for some. I mean. You can follow it, but it's, I mean, unless you, like, there's a big name going and you know, and it's like a tight competition, but for the most part, it's just boring. Yeah. I might, yeah, actually, that's what I'm, I don't know. I don't know yet. I don't that's know. That's what I'm going to wait a day. No, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to wait a day. Do you know how much it is? Um, the, I have no clue, but him and Max were kind of talking about that aspect of it for like a regular viewer. Like no one knows who doesn't watch weightlifting like religiously, like who is in the chase with each other, who's on each other's hills and like who to actually watch for. So they're going to give those athletes a little bit more attention in the back as well. Like show their last attempts, the first attempts, how they warm up. Yeah. Cause that's what you got to do is you got to, you got to make it relatable in some way. And just watching people lift weights on the stage, there's not enough relation. There's got to be either some like personal connection or there has to be some conflict and, um, you know, conflict with gravity is only so exciting after like the first few attempts, you know, <laughs> they, the technique right. doesn't change too much. Um, so maybe that, uh, if they could figure out a way to make that, you know, personal connection with those athletes in their warmups, um, which they tend to be doing, I mean, they tend to have some practice because of all those like training hall videos. I'm sure they'll figure yeah. out a way to, do I it. Think just really good. Do it immediately and not like a post-production type thing, because that's a different uh, that's a different story. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be like a pay-per-view, right, Tyree? Is that what? It, yeah, they said nine right? days. You get it for nine days, which is why I, I think that'll be worth it. I mean, I'm torn between being cheap and just waiting six hours and watching the recap on YouTube, or like, but like, I think this is going to be really good. For nine days and knowing that weightlifting house is going to be doing it and the stuff that they've been talking about and what they the type of stuff that they've been putting out, which has been quality, I think it'll be I might actually do this pay-per-view for a week and a half. I think it'll be worth it. Did you see the yeah, last so video they to... put out about the back room? Well, it wasn't about no. it was about the 109s. Um, and that was a really good video. Um and the main point of that video was they were showing the the two Uzbek lifters and Armenian, um, Mark Tarazian, uh, Nuradinov, and what's the young uh, as uh, Uzbek lifter, the one who actually won the Olympics. Yeah, I can't remember his name. Akbar Drive. That's what it is. Um, they had a video with the three of them and the three of them, their warm up platforms were next to each other. And they were talking about what numbers they're going to hit and who's beat who recently and who has the most world records. And when I was watching that one, it was really cool watching all of their warm ups. They all took the exact same warm up jumps. They all opened within a couple of kilos of each other. It was nice to watch. But when I was watching it, the first thing I thought of is like, what is each athlete's mindset in this? Like, what are they thinking? Because at that point, you're not, they're not scared of anyone, but what is their mindset going in? I'm sure they think they'll do well. I'm sure they think they'll hit whatever lifts on the bar. But you have one guy who just won the Olympics and is the Olympic champion. Then you have the other guy who has the world records. Then you have the other guy who has never lost to either of them. So... What, what what are they thinking? Like when they go into that, is the guy thinking, well, I just won the Olympics. There's no way I'm losing to these guys. And the guy who has the world record, is he thinking, well, yeah, he won the Olympics, but I have the world records. He can't, he can't outlift me. And then the third lifter, who's never lost to either of them, cool, I don't care what you have. You guys have never beat me. Like all three of those mindsets are accurate. They're true. Like what are they, what are they thinking? I got that, that's... That was what I was thinking the whole time. Cause I don't know, no matter which lifter I was, I don't know what I would have been thinking. 
how their personalities look like one more calmer than the other one more outgoing than the other like more honestly all of them were really calm all of all three of them were really calm um nuradinov is probably the most he was still he's still calm like nuradinov isn't a over-the-top lifter like he was still really calm none of them really yelling in the warm-up room at all but it was just interesting at and i was watching that thinking about i guess mindset is a big part of that because whatever all three of those are right all three of them could have told themselves something that was factually true that they could not lose i mean two of them are going to lose but everything that they told themselves was true yeah, it's like that video with um, Meso and what's the 96 that lifts with <laughs> uh-huh. um, Keanu Shristami? Is that his name? Um, where they're basically warming up in the training hall before Worlds or it was one of those events and Meso's behind him on a platform. Oh, um, you're talking about um, Plisnoy. Yeah, from Georgia. and then um, Meso ended up trying to go too mm-hmm. heavy in the training hall and Clark that, what was it, two, 220 or something or 215? Yeah. Did you see the one before that? Wait, this was an older one. It was at the 2020. It was when Keanu Shristami came out and hit like 175, 220 after he had just bombed out. So he's going to this meet. Everybody's thinking, okay, he's going to bomb out. And he had a great meet. But he sat next to Meso, right next to him, probably six feet away. Whenever Meso walked up to a bar, he would walk up and take it at the exact same time. Hmm. <laughs> And then whenever Meso would just, even if Meso stood up and like wasn't going to take it, Keanu should stand up and just stand by his bar and then sit down. And then mm. uh, Keanu does this other thing where he won't, he will be the last person to warm up. So it doesn't matter how big of jumps he has to make. He will not touch the bar until everybody else has started the warm up, just to let you know, like, I'm the last lifter. That's why that man's my spirit animal. I, I that, <laughs> that man, I love that man's mindset with all of these. Like, okay, cool. I'll wait till you start warming up. And he made these nasty jumps in the warm-up room. Uh, apparently in 26, I think it was 16 Olympics, they said he went 70, 120, 170 for snatch. Came out at 170. Th- those were his jumps. Went 70, 120, went out at 170 and hit it. That mm. man is reckless, and I love it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a wild warm up, um, but yeah, that's a good. Uh, I mean, you could play some mind games in the back. I think that would be worth it. It's like that video that you uh, showed me, James, the Piros Demos on Iron Mind in Melbourne. Those big mm-hmm. jumps he would take, like uh-huh. the whole video is like eight minutes, and it's like look at all the work he got done. I mean, I'm sure some of it was probably edited a little bit, maybe, but. All the work he got done is just a short amount of time. It's like, is my warm up too long? <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, Armenians make yeah. those nasty jumps because they're so used to training five times a day. They get real quick. Like, okay, let's get through these numbers. Yeah, there's value in trying both styles because um, there used to be like, I don't remember who wrote it. It's something that Bud Charnaga wrote about a while back about like the the women's Chinese weightlifting team back in like back in two thousand. And they would warm up with like triples uh, and they would get to like a triple at their opener and then they would go open up at that weight after they just did a triple with it in the back. Um, And then they would go up, but still like it's they probably had some other things going on because I think at that time they were just completely dominating because women's weightlifting was so um, it was not as developed then. Um, so the Chinese team was just like way above everyone else and you know, their warmups were high volume, but, uh, you know, they could handle it. Um, I doubt they're like that now. I'm sure they've refined as the competition has gone up. Um, but speaking of weightlifting house, before I forget this, uh, $12 and 50 cents, you can watch all, all of Europeans. Um, so pretty good price. Yeah, so it's from May 28th all the way through June 5th. Um, I will be buying it, that. It'll be uh, it'll be neat to see if they can make a different, uh, a more um, viewer friendly viewership of a weightlifting competition. Um, yeah. So the as far as like jumps, 
how many jumps do you usually take in the snatch, George? I try to um, time it to where like I'm on my 10th or 11th rep by the time I'm getting to like maybe my opener or whatever my heavy lift's going to be that day. Hmm. Really? Yeah. That's like the top end, I would say. Uh, are you counting muscle snatches, James? Or am I counting like after that? I guess I should say set, not rep. Well, yeah. Is that, uh, am, I, you, am I counting the set? Are you set? talking set or rep? I'm talking rep. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I'll do How like many sets? I'll do like double at fifty percent, double at sixty percent, and then I'll go single seventy up. Yeah, so that sounds like a a good warm up. Um, okay. You know, eight to ten sets is good. You know, ten or eleven sets would be on like the top end of it. Um, and then you're ready to go out there, and so then you're probably getting, really? you know. 14 reps total, which is a pretty good snatch to leave enough energy for clean and jerk. What what jumps are you making, George? Because I think I'm at like seven. Um, I go, everything's like percentage based. So I'll go literally okay. uh, uh, 50%, 60%, 70%, 80%, and then like 84 to 87, 88 ish to like 90, 93, 96, or 94, 97, 101, 100. I don't go off. Let's try to I don't stay change percentage. Though. I don't go off percentage, but I don't slow down at 80. Like I'll take that 80 and go straight to 90. Mm. So that's where, cause I'll go 50 kilos. I, I, I go kilos. I'll go 50, 70, 80, 90, 100, 110, and then 117. Yeah. So I'll try to take the bigger jumps at the beginning. And then that's why I just left it percentage base. And then that way, by the time it starts to get heavier, I can kind of like, okay, this percentage is this. I normally hit this at this time. And then it, it makes those a jumps while. a little bit a little bit smaller, build a better, uh, better rhythm at the heavier load. Before, I didn't want to take that 100 to 110 jump, but then it got to the point where I was snatching 110 multiple times a week. I'm like, okay, just jump straight to a 106 and 110 feels the mm-hmm. same. So then it went to, I didn't, like, I would go from 110 to 114. But then I would go from 14 to 17, and that's just such a small jump to where I started pushing up to go 110, 115, because 15 and 17 doesn't feel any different. Then once I started hitting 115 consistently, then I took it to 110 to 117. See, that's where my training is a little bit different, because I'll try to not hit the same numbers each week. So like if I'm working up to a heavy single, um, Mm -hmm. I'll try to avoid, like let's say I hit 112 the week before or 110 the week before, Mm -hmm. I'll go like 111 or 109 or 113. Um, I do that with clean and jerk. I don't do it with snatch. So I I get you. I do that with clean and jerk, but I I don't do that with snatch. Yeah. I try to do it with both just so that I don't get um, to the points where like I'm relying on a number. Like what was the other, the other day, it was a couple of weeks ago and I looked at him and my knees felt terrible, but I think you would hit 40, I think you hit 46 or something. And I looked at Amanda after I cleaned 110. I was like, man, my knees hurt. I'm just going to make big jumps. I went from 110, went, no, I think I went 20, 35, 47. Because I just wanted to get it over with them. I just need to hit something. So then I started making bigger jumps. I didn't want to hit 45 because then then I'm going to have to go again. So I, I just made bigger jumps to get it over with. So with cleans, I won't try to tie the same number that I hit before. But with snatch, I'm consistent with the 10 to like 17 unless i need to hit something like if i only hit 12 the week before then i'll go to 15 but i'm trying to get consistent going from 10 to 17 which has been pretty consistent and then from 17 to 21 which has been well yeah so those are some good uh good advice because you know you always want descending jumps and you can always kind of play around with your warm-up um and especially as you're getting better to change those numbers around. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, the other thing that's good about getting used to big jumps on clean and jerk, because sometimes you're just going to have to evaluate, like, I just got done with snatch. Um, one, I'm exhausted. Maybe that weight cut hit you a little bit harder or the travel or whatever. Um, and you're like, I need to take less reps on the clean and jerk. And being familiar with taking big jumps and knowing how your body's going to feel, um, or just knowing how big of jumps that you can actually get away with, I think is valuable. And, um, 
because you know you just just be prepared on all fronts when it comes to competition time the the other thing too is if you snatch and then you're a pretty low clean and jerker and then you're like the first one to come up on clean and jerk you know sometimes you're just like oh you have a 10 minute break and you're opening up on snatch you don't better warm up quick like don't target me like that James. <laughs> <laughs> that was hey, one of the funniest it was ao3 <laughs> ao3 back in 2019 i snatched i hit 121 and then that was my third attempt came to the back james was like all right good job i'm taking off my wraps He's like, let me go see how much time you have. And Jacob was back there with us. So Jacob said next to me, I'm taking off my knee wraps. And I got one wrap off. And James is by the board. And he turns around, take the bar. It's like, well, damn it. All right, I guess. Guess I'm not getting a break. Guess I'm not getting that break. All right. Great. And I did fine. Like, it warmed up. The clean and jerk felt fine. And I ended up, yeah, I did PR my clean and jerk. So it turned out fine. But I just remember thinking like, oh, this is this is going to be fine. I'm going to sit down for 15 minutes, eat some more Lifesavers. No, take the bar. All right. Yep. Get, Let's go again. Get some surprises. So speaking of your knees hurting, you are planning on getting a uh, cortisone shot, huh? Yes. Yeah. My, it's, my knees just aren't getting any better. Um, it's So I, I've... I've seen two different orthos. I've had I've had my knees looked at four times in the last couple months. And all of the stuff that seemed really bad the first time they looked at it, they're now saying like, yeah, we can't really fix it. And you can't really make it worse. So the pain might go away and it's just not going away. So they said it's meniscus tears, partial tearing of the patella, tendonitis in the quad and in the patella tendon uh cysts around my PCL and I'm missing something. Oh, and they thought it was a possible DVT because they said I wasn't getting proper blood flow through my knee. So it's mm. it's a bunch of stuff and it sounded really bad the first time they said it. And then they were like, yeah, well, structurally you're fine. So then they sent me to a vascular surgeon and the vascular surgeon was like, yeah, I know that you need to go back to an ortho. Like there's nothing we can do. They took two ultrasounds. So yeah, it's a, let's go and shoot this thing up. <laughs> let's, let's get rid of this pain. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, you kind of looked at your options. Sounds like the next, uh, the next step, give it a try. You know, sometimes those things help just clear things up. Um, yeah, sometimes, uh, sometimes not. But uh, that brought us to that conversation of what is allowed in competition. So cortisone shots are allowed out of competition for uh, weightlifting. Um, and I think pretty much every other Olympic sport. But uh, they're not allowed in competition. So then we were like, all right, so what what details like an in competition and out of competition? So we, we finally looked it up. We went to Global Drow, which is... Uh, global drug reference online and you have to like select your country and you know kind of go through this kind of a pain in the neck thing till you can finally search whatever you're looking for and so you know we get we got to cortisone and uh, it's a pretty clear website as far as like you know you pull it up and it's just like um there's these giant red square in competition prohibited out of competition, not prohibited. Um, and they go over all of the different ways that you can take it, um, from injection to, uh, to rectal. So, you know, the way the methods and everything that's prohibited and not, um, but then they also had the, they had a link to WADA, which is world anti-doping agency. And they were talking about washout periods. So pretty much let's see if I can, um, get the washout periods. So if this say you're getting an injection, um, mm, periarticular, intraarticular, uh, I'm assuming you're just getting it into the joint, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so they, they have a washout period of, uh, of 10 days. So as long as you don't do it within 10 days of competition, you know, you're pretty good with, uh, not testing positive for a cortisone shot. 
Um, the one that takes longer is uh, an intermuscular. They say 60 days. I wonder why that's the difference. You would think that the intermuscular yeah. would uh, uh, wash out faster. But um, that's only if you use triamcinelio acetinoid. <laughs> Fuck that one up. But... <laughs> um, they've got other different types of uh, glucocorticoids uh, that wash out in five days or ten days. But uh, so either way, it sounds like you're pretty good just to get a cortisone shot and not have to worry about testing positive uh, at nationals when you go there. Yeah, um, you know, I've, nice I get that question a lot. Car. <laughs> that would be nice. My warm-up is literally just trying to get my knees to move. That That is 100% what my warm-up is. Yeah. <laughs> We've got another guy. I don't want to talk about his medical history uh, on the team, but um, we had a conversation, and he gets cortisone shots in his knees, and he has some – he's had some, like, like a, a motorcycle accident and kind of messed up his knees. But uh, when we were talking about it, and he's like, hey, are cortisone shots, like – uh, are they banned? Like, cause he was pretty much like, if those are banned, then I'm pretty much going to stop weightlifting. Cause <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I'm not top stopping taking cortisone shots. Um, but, and you know, that makes him feel a lot better. Um, I don't know the, the whole long-term effects and all that stuff. I am, uh, what's that disclaimer? I need to do the disclaimer voice. I am not a physician. I am not promoting or <laughs> discouraging the use of corticosteroids. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I think it is worth, uh, talking about in weightlifting. And then if you do it, you know, don't do it within 10 days of competition, look up at global dro and WADA and all that stuff. Uh, talk to your coach. If you have questions about what you're taking, um, and whether it's banned. Yeah. Every once in a while when someone's like, Hey, can I send you all of the stuff that I'm taking? And then I'll get like this text message list of, the back of ingredients bottles. And uh, usually, like, I've been around for a long time. So, like, a lot of them, I can just look at the ingredients and I would know. And then, like, if something pops up, like, I don't know what that is. And then I'll have to look it up. So, it's a pretty easy thing. But um, that's where you do it. Is it Glub, <laughs> globaldro.com. Uh, is, it, is it a dot .com? I don't yep. Know. Yeah, there's another website that they promote, Supplement 411. Um, and I'm pretty sure that website is just dumb. Um, like, it just says, don't take supplements. You're responsible <laughs> for what goes in your body. There's no actual useful information on our website. Um, so let's see, like... Yeah, we'll see if we can find supplement four one one. Guys, I will um, say this rain is really working. I'm so excited to go power clean later today. I, oh, I thought you were going to say that you have to use the restroom. <laughs> no, <laughs> I am so excited to go to the gym in like six hours. It's going to be great. I feel like every time I drink a banger rain, mid-workout, I'm in the bathroom. Yes. No, that, that is... Yeah, yeah. I crack my bang before I start my warm up because I know that's going to happen. Yep. Yeah. I thought you were talking about like rain and like change of pressure making your knees hurt. So, I'm not <laughs> that, on the same level as <laughs> That is that is a real thing. That that is a real thing. The arthritis in both knees and shoulders don't like the rain. Ah oh, man, yeah. I sound like I'm 50. This is ridiculous. I was going to say, have you, um, because you you've been dealing with knee pain for a while now. So, like, what has helped you, like, um, in the long term as far as like your knee pain? Like, if someone was having something similar, uh, drugs. <laughs> Honestly, just ibuprofen. Like, uh, so I will say I will try. There are a lot of so the reason I stopped using knee sleeves is because I wanted the pressure right below my kneecap. So when I switched to wraps, that felt much better because I could tighten it where I wanted the pressure and I could loosen it up everywhere else. So wraps helped me way more than knee sleeves. Um, and honestly, 
just going, I think it was last week when I said my mindset changes, whether I'm 25 weeks out or five weeks out going up and down like that with training. Like, Oh, my knee is bothering me when I snatched or when I cleaned 70 kilos, I'm going to power clean the rest of my reps today. So I don't really piss off my knees. So then when I come in three days later, I do feel better. So it's really just knowing when to push and when not to, because my knees have bothered me for years and I just keep doing it. Um, but there hasn't really been anything. My knees will feel good for two months. Then they'll feel terrible for 10. Um, so it's really just when I have a day where the pain is a six out of 10, like, all right, that's fine. We, we can, we'll grind through this session. And then when it's a eight, all right, no, we're, we're power cleaning and we're not squatting today. Have you has like ice baths or like compression, like the leg sleeves or anything ever like helped alleviate anything? No. I've, I have the free sleeves. Um, I got a tens unit thinking like maybe I was just tight around the knee. I honestly, nothing. <laughs> there's, there's been nothing. And I think part of it is just the knee. It, yeah, it's just my knees just worthless. So I've tried the ice. I've tried the heat. I've tried tens units, wraps, wraps plus sleeves, nothing really. It's like, all right, let's take some ibuprofen before a heavy day. And then we'll, we'll be all right until about halfway through the cleaning jerks. Then normally that starts bothering me. Cleans bothers it way more because I can't get into the bottom position. So if as long as I catch my snatches and ride them down, it feels better, which is I that also helps me because I notice when I'm diving under the bar because now my knee hurts. But when I can meet the snatch or meet the clean and ride it that little bit, it doesn't hurt as much. But then I go for a heavy clean and it smacks me in the bottom, then it kills. Mm. So mm. meeting the bar, I, I meet the bar better now, not out of a necessity. All right. So I finally found uh, Supplement 411 and their uh, sur- security certificate expired six days ago. So my computer won't even let me go to their website. Um, but pretty much what it is, is you can look at a high risk list. So like they'd be like, oh, Athletes tend to be popping on this brand of supplement, mm. blah, blah, blah. So um, if USADA paid their certi- security certificate um, on their websites, um, then it might be useful, but uh, pretty much everything they provide is uh, is useless. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, like I can even get to it. But the rest of the website is pretty much like, you know, don't take supplements. These are the risks. Uh, finally, just recently, they used to say like never do any supplements, but now it's like you could take NSF certified supplements with less risk. <laughs> so, right. yeah, I was gonna say like the third party testers most of the time are. You could probably look at their ingredients and find that it's pretty clean. I'm sure that there's probably one or two that gets by that's probably not clean, so it's still probably a good idea to check them, but. Right. Most time, third-party testers are better, better options yeah. at least. Yeah, and the problem is, is I think with a lot of them, it's that um, like they'll be in this warehouse and they'll be making, I don't know, some banned substance in this drum, and then they're like, "Oh, let's make our multivitamins in this drum now," and they like they don't clean it out or something, oh, man. and then all of a sudden your multivitamins have um, some banned substance in there, Denzel. like. Yeah, well, maybe not that much. But something <laughs> stupid like, like tribulus, I think, uh, or like DHEA is banned. Like, can't take DHEA. Um, or what? What's banned? Uh, oh, we had a scare one time. Oh, um, you know that company of like pre-workout? It's called like Red. Or it's like deer antler or something. Oh yeah, yeah, Buck, yeah. Bucked up or something like that. Yeah, yeah that's Buck, what it Buck is. Wild or something. Yeah. Um, and red velvet deer antler is a banned substance, um, cause it's a, it's a testosterone producing thing. And, um, somebody took it. I'm not even going to say who it was. Um, and then they, uh, they took it for the pre-workout. It was at the Arnold a couple of years ago and oh, man. they won their session and then they got tested and then we're like, packing up to go back and then he's just like oh yeah man this has been fun at the arnold like i even got this supplement like 
I went out there and they gave it to me and I took it and I was like, um, (laughs) (laughs) this supplement has banned ingredients in it and you just got tested and you just Uh. took it. Um, so maybe it like just didn't make it into his urine by the time that test came around. Um, I was going to say his pee is molten hot. (laughs) 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 Melted the bottle. Either that or um, bucked up does not have <laughs> what it says it has in there. Right. Um, or maybe he just got like a different, maybe their pre-workout doesn't have red velvet deer antler. Cause that's not really like a pre-workout type of ingredient. Um, but I, I got a pretty good scare on that one. Um, so we waited. <laughs> Ask two your coaches. <laughs> yeah. So especially at the Arnold. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That, uh, it's worth checking, and it's it's an easy check. Right. Uh, it's easier than a two year ban. Like that's that five minutes is worth it compared to a two year ban. Uh, yeah, I know. It's always dumb, like when it's obviously something like unintentional. Yeah. Um, it's just like ah, you know, that sucks. But you know, you got a two year ban, so yeah, just kind of deal with it. Um. Yeah, I've heard of like youth athletes getting popped for like taking some energy drink or something or, you know, this and that. But if you have a knowledgeable coach that can look in all those things, <laughs> you can just avoid all of that stress and know what to take and know what not to. So at what point does a uh, coach's role start and end? A little bit of a gray area. Um, what, uh, you know, where uh, should a coach let their athlete know? Like, you know, what should they help them with and what is too far? Um, you guys got any thoughts on that? I would say what level is the athlete at and how much is the athlete trying to do in the sport? I mean, if somebody's just, hey, they just enjoy weightlifting, they just think it's fun, or they might do some local competitions, but that's it. They come and lift and then pick the kids up from school. Then the coach should be there, give them good programming, let them know, like, hey, this will make your lift a little better, and that's it. If you got somebody who's trying to qualify for worlds, coach should be a little more or the athlete should be open to the coach doing more. Let me say that. Yeah. So that, I mean, the first example, I mean, that's like a, a full grown adult. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about that, um, from an adult perspective. Um, because obviously youth is almost like a completely different story, youth and junior. But, uh, so let's just say adults, uh, when does youth end 21? But yeah, no, 21, juniors, they are no longer ju- juniors. They're junior at 20. Yeah, 20, 21 is the end of junior. Yeah, so let's just say that. Um, we'll, we'll go with the legal smoking age in North Carolina. 21 okay. now. It's not 18 anymore. Um, really? Anybody younger than that, you're not an adult. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That's so I saw it on a, I what? saw it on a gas station sign. You're kidding and me. And it was like, yeah, they changed it. So I've never um, smoked a cigarette in my life, but when I turned 18, I went out and bought a pack because I could. <laughs> like that's like that's I bought a lottery ticket and some cigarettes. Like, let's get it. I'm 18 now. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. And then I gave them to my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you can get a beer, cigarettes, and a lottery ticket because you're 21. Oh, that's a day. That's a day. Yeah. Right <laughs> well, I, how old are you, Tyree? Now you can rent a car. Oh yeah. Oh, shit. I turned 28 this year. I'm getting gray hair. <laughs> like, jeez. Yeah. 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 Uh, the milestones end. So, um, so you got an adult and they're just doing this. Like, uh, um, a coach should just kind of give them some, give them some general direction. But, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. Is like being someone's life coach, like overstepping, or do you think, you know, sometimes it would be the role, like, if that athlete comes in and they're like, you know, 
let's just say doing something that uh like harmful to themselves um let's just say like they are like a uh, a raging alcoholic you know they're coming in they're training they're sober but mm-hmm. like does a coach overstep their bounds when like they say hey like you're drinking too much or like you're doing these other unhealthy behaviors you know, Weightlifting House did a good video. We've talked about them a lot this episode. Weightlifting House did a video with Meso Asona and his dad. And they talked about how Meso liked his dad being his coach because he said a coach should do everything. And that's why other countries aren't successful. His dad worries about his meals, how much he's sleeping, what he can and can't do. Like he's not go, uh, what they said. Uh, Ilya went to go watch the Star Wars movie two weeks before Worlds. And Meso and his dad were like, oh, no, you, you can't sit still in an upright position like that for three hours. This close to the world, you can't do that. So his dad took care of everything. And now he's an Olympic champion. Um, that worked for them. That's probably not going to work here. But that made sense. The more an athlete is wanting to accomplish, I think the coach should do more and be involved in more. And if the athlete's wanting to do more, then they – understand that the coach is going to do more than if the coach didn't care and the athlete didn't care because it's not as big of a deal. Hmm. So that's a lot. I mean, I didn't, I didn't realize that with that meso guy. I mean, mm-hmm. Star Wars is important. I mean, <laughs> you gotta watch Star Wars, <laughs> you know, world champion or like watching Star Wars, you know, <laughs> That's uh, we're gonna have oh, yeah, priorities. They, uh, they were for sure <laughs> way more yeah, than I, anybody else. I don't know. I think maybe <clears> that would uh, that work with like a certain individual or a certain like personality type, because I'm sure like the other father son combinations are a little bit closer to that than uh, mm-hmm. than we would think. Because I mean, look at uh, Hampton Morris. Yeah. You know, their decision, his schooling is based around, you know, like homeschool. I don't know. I don't know them. And I don't know, like all of the other decisions that they make for weightlifting. But I assume that it's a large portion of their decisions are made with weightlifting in mind. Uh, so like in that respect, they do really well. They're 100% committed. Um, the coach and the athlete have a, you know, a much more involved um, relationship um, and then there's just some general things that they should not cross, I should say. But think about so with you as a coach, think of it. I don't have anybody in mind with this. Think of two athletes at How um, who haven't competed, maybe competed at AO series at most. And are, yeah, AO series. Do you get more random messages about? body aches in food from George and I, or from those athletes? Uh, I only get those from you, Tyree. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that's fair. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> like it's, I was going to say that um, I feel like the meso and his dad scenario is completely different just because it's like the father son. So there's different boundaries you can't mm-hmm. really compare that to a coach athlete because a coach um, at the end of the day has like a certain scope, like they're responsible for. They're kind of more, I feel like a coach is more of like a guide in a way. So like, yeah, they can recommend and try to help you as much as possible. But at the end of the day, they'll probably have to out like resource you to somewhere else, especially in certain circumstances, just because that's not what they're responsible for. I think it helps that his dad was a weightlifter who went to worlds too. So like that, that helps. But the reason I like their example is because his dad said that that's what a coach should be. And that's why he thinks that the father is a good coach because he thinks a coach should do all of that. I think it's a lot. I do think that that's a whole lot. Um, and I don't yeah, think that well, would work for most. They're also stuck in their bubble of them. Um, yeah. and their personality types are not the same as everyone else. Um, so I think, yeah, so it sounds like the answer to that question is a lot of, uh, it depends, you know, um, you know, why is someone coming into your gym? Why is that mom that's having issues coming to the gym? Are they just coming in to like, uh, relieve some stress 
or are they coming in to better their lives? Like, um, you know, I guess it's, uh, but I think I would definitely agree more with George. You it's, know, it's like human nature too, though. Cause think about it. If you're a coach and you have an athlete that's coming in like day after day, week after week, and it's like giving it their all and just going crazy, like with training, trying to make sure that everything's right. They're probably going to get um, maybe a little bit more guidance compared to someone who's showing up once a week or only twice a week and misses a whole week here. Or, you, you know what I mean? Like the coach is supposed to help make you a better athlete. And if the coach knows that you're doing something that is detrimental to that, they should they should tell you. So if somebody yeah. is wanting to become a better athlete and like George or James said, and he's downing vodka seven days a week. <laughs> you should probably stop him right? or, or let him know like, Hey, this isn't, this isn't going to make you a good athlete. My job is to help make you a better athlete. This is not going to do it. Let them know that whether it's their diet, uh, like if the coach sees something that he knows isn't beneficial for the athlete, then the coach should tell them. Now, if it's an athlete that, which was like a lower level athlete who isn't trying to do anything wild and they're just doing it for the enjoyment of it. The coach doesn't need to say as much because that's not detrimental. If somebody's just snatching and clean and jerking because they enjoy to snatch and clean and jerk and they have no goals in it, they just enjoy it, then them drinking vodka seven days a week might not be detrimental to them just enjoying to snatch. But if they have a goal, then it is. And now the coach needs to say something. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, if it's detrimental to their health, like if they're drinking so much that it's detrimental to their health, should they say something? Definitely should out resource them to like the help that they need. But okay, let's let's switch lot, to food if, rather than that way where it doesn't because yeah, being an alcoholic probably isn't the best thing. Switch to food if you know their diet, like they're eating way too much and they're gaining ten kilos every month, or they're not eating at all. With food, dang, what's that diet? Enough. How do I get on it? <laughs> <laughs> Papa John's and donuts. ten kilos a month sounds oh, heavy. Nice. Papa John's donuts. Indeed. Diet is another thing that's kind of hard to um, bring into the question, too, because um, there's a lot more that goes into diet than just the food itself. You got to think about mm -hmm. like BMR. You got to think about total daily energy expenditure. You got to think about activity levels. Um, so at the same time, um, that's almost like a feature that a coach isn't responsible for. At that point, like a coach could give like basic guidelines like, hey, this is what is like kind of recommended. But they would still have to out-resource to someone who understands all of that. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't think so the co your, coach, you your coach probably doesn't know everything. But if the coach knows something that you're doing is incorrect, should the coach step in? Yeah. Um, it's like specialization, though. Look at it that way. Like when you go to any type of store, any type of job, or any type of profession – there's different people in house that handle different areas of like different scopes. Mm -hmm. So you can't put it all onto the coach to be responsible for every single thing. It's not, it's not possible. Yeah. I don't think it's all uh, on the coach, but I do think that that is the person that you are intentionally looking at. Like think about as a kid, as a kid, you look at your parents and you don't know the math homework. So, Hey, can you help me with this? You don't know that your dad failed every math class he ever took. That's not his scope. Like, that's not the man you should be asking. But that is the person that you, like, that's who you look at first. Like, hey, do you do you know this? Now, they might not have all the answers, but a coach is the person that you are looking at as the first stop. Like, hey, what do you think about this? And the coach, if the coach doesn't know, they should say, hey, I don't know. How about you ask this person? Or how about you go here? I'm not saying that the yeah, coach should I have all the that. answers. But that is the person who you're going to look at because if I'm doing something that's related to weightlifting, which would, for me, would include what I'm eating, I'm going to ask James. And James isn't a dietitian, so I have another weightlifter who is, and then I ask them about my diet stuff. So it, you should you should be able to go to your coach. I think the coach should say things if they know what you're doing isn't best for you. Yeah. yeah. I agree with so that. So I would agree. So the, uh, 
it sounds like it just depends on like the individual relationship on how you go about, you know, bringing them up. So if you're a coach out there, um, do you either go up directly or do you give them subtle hints to like, um, like, Hey, somebody stopped by and dropped off these alcoholic anonymous flyers at, uh, <laughs> I don't know. This isn't a real situation. Um, but we're just using this as an example. Uh, I just do some, do some subtle, uh, subtle stuff first. Um, direct isn't always the, uh, aggressive and direct isn't always the answer. Um, evaluate the relationship and see, um, see what it is. But I do think that if, uh, if an athlete, no matter what level, especially like this, say an adult and whether they're trying to be competitive at nationals, whether they're just trying to like do it for fun. Um, I do think it is worth like the coaches, coaches are such a, uh, influential, influential position in people's lives. Um, that I think it would do well, you know, don't like hound people on it, but, um, to steer them in the right direction if they're doing something that you know is harmful. But then again, this is another adult that is old enough to make their own decisions. And, you know, adults should be allowed to make their own decisions. It's uh that's America. That's how it works. Um, but I do think it's worth a coach mentioning things and letting people know, because sometimes people don't know, you know, something they, they probably know, but they just don't think about it. They don't make the connection that drinking alcohol every night might be affecting their weightlifting or might be affecting their general health. <laughs> um, you know, they don't, right. things let's, like let's that sneak little, up on you. Let's go a little to closer see. to weightlifting and work and work out from that. So let's say you have an adult athlete who is at a competition, a local competition, and they like tweak something, whether it's their ankle or like their, they tweak something on their opening lift and they want to go out for their second lift and you don't think it's worth it. You think that they should just pull out. Do you tell them that? Do you let them do it and just not say anything? Or do you go over there and scratch out their card? Um, I think it's the athlete's decision. Like the coach is a guide once again. So like you can recommend like, hey, I don't think this is a good idea. But at the end of the day, it's your competition. It's up to you. You can do what you feel is fit. But I personally probably would not go out there and take that lift if I was in that situation. Right. So yeah, I, think, I, I would, I think you should tell them, I would tell them like, Hey, this is a bad idea. I don't think you should do this. I would tell them over and over. I'm not saying I would go out and scratch out an adult's card. They are an adult. They can make their own decision. I'm not going to go withdraw them, but I am going to tell them this is a terrible idea. This is stupid. And I'm going to let them know why. Cause you got to think about the athlete's goal. So like you got their goal in mind and then you have like your personal experience in mind as well. So like you got to put them hand to hand and kind of leave that up to them. Now, if it's like a youth athlete, Different story. You're probably going to be like, okay, hey, you hurt yourself. We're pulling you from this meet. It's not worth it. Yep. And you're going to go from there. Yep. Yeah. So all of these are like gray area things, like minor tweaks and things like that, um, which I would agree with that. If there's a serious thing and you know that it's serious, I think it would be okay to like go up there. Like, because sometimes, you know, people get delusional in competitions. Like, you know, you see somebody and like, let's say they have a concussion, you know, they're going to be confused. They're not going to know. In that point, I would be like, you're showing signs of a concussion. I will not let you go out there, even yeah. if it's an adult. Um, but like all of the gray area stuff, like we even had one guy that like bothered his collarbone and he ended up breaking his collarbone on the last attempt of clean and jerk. And literally after the first one, I told this individual, Tyree, you remember this? Um, hey, this is not a good idea. And you know what the bad thing about it was? Is that I think you were coaching him, Tyree. Yep. Because I was actually competing on another right. stage. Yeah, you were on the time. platform right next to him, but the chairs in the back were right next to each other. And his warm-up was so bad that it was either like he keeps going out because I couldn't bump him up anymore. I'm like, I can't bump your numbers up because this isn't moving well. He's like, oh, no, I'm fine, though. And I'm like, I, mm. I don't know. And I, when I saw his warm-up was bad, I tried to take him down, but I couldn't take him down. There was no time to take him down. And there was, so yeah, that was, yeah. I remember that one. So on that respect, like there was a lot of gray area. He was like, Oh, this spot hurts a little bit. And then after the fact, like he ended up breaking it, he probably fractured it on his first or second attempt. And then he kind of broke it on his third attempt. Um, yeah. 
or made the fracture worse of his collarbone. Um, and that was like, a, there was a lot of gray area and he was told like, Hey, you shouldn't do this. And he decided to go out anyway. Uh, and he did get injured. So he kind of went against his coach's um, recommendations and, uh, and then long term, he did do worse because then he couldn't uh, he couldn't clean for a long time, which which we've we have all done this. I'm sure, James. When have you done this? When have I done that? Yes. Um, hmm. I was stubborn in other ways. <laughs> um, yeah, just, I feel like over time, everybody's done this. Maybe not George. Yeah, you. So the only you time I had like was. A- uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. I remember that. Uh, yeah, that's probably where I've been more stubborn is like as far as choosing attempts. And um, okay. so we went to Worlds one time and it was it was Zygmunt, um, uh, Victor Gallego um, and Peter Roselli. And uh, Peter Roselli, he's a level five USAW coach. He's not really involved in weightlifting anymore. Um, but he doesn't know me as like an athlete. Um, he doesn't know my warmups. He doesn't really like know anything about me as a weightlifter. And, uh, this was after Glenn had a stroke and he wasn't there and he wasn't listening to me as an athlete when I was telling him attempts and stuff. And then, um, I was warming up and I couldn't understand Victor, um, cause I don't speak Spanish. And his English is a little bit broken. And uh, I couldn't understand Zygmunt because English is broken and I don't speak Polish. And uh, so there was a language barrier on the, on these two other sides. And then there was this guy that didn't know me as a coach that was trying to make decisions for me um, who I didn't trust as a coach. And like those decisions, I was like, they didn't give me the decision. And then that kind of interfered with the competition. Um, or they didn't give me the input, but if I, if I had my regular coach there, like if I had Glenn there and he was, when he was, uh, like pre-stroke Glenn, none of those would have ever been issues because it's kind of developed that athlete coach relationship Mm -hmm. and you kind of know what the deal is. Um, so I think that's a, a big part of that too, is the athlete coach relationship. You know, I'm sure like if I had been around Victor longer, or Zygmunt longer, I would have understood their like speech better and it would have been a little bit better. Um, because they, I mean, I don't know, I don't know about Zygmunt, um, but Victor's a very good competition coach. Um, Zygmunt and then this other guy, they weren't really good competition coaches, but, uh, that's, what's good about team USA now. Cause they've got, uh, they've got Piros and Mike Atone, which are both very good at, you know, having people do, uh, competitions and they instill trust in their athletes, even if it's not the main, um, the main coach. Um, but yeah, I think it goes back to that building a trust and relationship with the coach and the individual athletes and being able to make the right decision. Yeah. And talk to them. athletes just not going to listen. Like no matter what you say, the adult athlete just is like, no, I'm doing it. And there's nothing you can really do, but you should still say something. Yep. George, have you ever had, well, have you had time to do anything dumb? Um, I did something dumb without even realizing I did something dumb. It was uh, when I tweaked my bicep. Um, so I was working up to a heavy snatch and I took 121, um, walked it forward, felt like a little weird sensation and I dropped the bar, but it after I kind of assessed it, I was like, all right, um, I can move it. It doesn't really hurt. Maybe I just had it in a weird position for a split second. So then I took 121 again, and it went out the back. And I was like, all right, I'm going to take this one more time. I'm going to stick it right in the middle this time. So I took it again, made it. And I was like, oh, nice. Let's go. 125, put it on the bar. <laughs> and I smoked 125. Okay. And then I worked all the way up to 155 on cleaner jerk and then went home. And after I cooled down like an hour later, my bicep and shoulder was in a lot of pain. I was like, what the hell is going on right now? And I didn't want to tell James because I was like, yeah, no, I got I don't think that I got to keep, keep, keep training and I can't afford the time off. 
No, you so, PR'd your, your snatch and clean and jerk on that day. I don't think that counts as a bad decision. Everything was moving. You have little nicks. <laughs> James, does this count as like one of those bad decisions? Like it might not have been ideal training, but that one's not that bad. That was a bad decision. When I felt that weird sensation, I should have stopped and moved on. It wasn't worth it. Because look how uh, long it took for my bicep to recover after finishing that session. Coach Tatum, I was what still, are your thoughts on that? I, was st- I, I would say that's not really like a bad decision. That's like a learning experience. Okay. Now you know that when you feel that, mm-hmm. that's when a good time to stop is. I've had that happens again, and then you're just like, fuck it, I'm going up to 126. That would be a bad decision. Right. But now you know, you know. I've had days where I've snatched 100 and like my shoulder moved weird and it didn't hurt, but I'm like, oh, that wasn't normal and I didn't do that. All right, I'm stopping today. I've had days where I just stopped snatching at like 90 or 100 because something moved weird and I'm not doing it anymore. I don't have a good shoulder left. I'm not doing it anymore. I don't try to save snatches like I used to. None of that. Like if it's off, that's cool. Nobody cares if I snatch one thirteen on a random Tuesday. So see, this is a good topic to have too, though, because we're talking about when should a coach step in. Um, Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's I'd say it's up to the athlete too to like kind of give the coach that information. So like, hey, this happened or that happened. So like in my instance, waiting till Monday when that happened on Friday probably wasn't the best choice. (laughs) (laughs) I could have told coach. I could have co- told Coach a lot sooner. Yeah, he's not a physical therapist. He's not a doctor, but he um, is responsible for my training program. So it could have he could have helped me out as far as like adjustments or like recommendations or pointed me in the right direction. And um, I kind of just waited till Monday because I was like, oh, Saturday, Sunday, rest days. You know, it's going to feel a lot better. And then Monday, I'll be good to go. And Monday, I still wasn't good to go. So I was like, oh, I should tell Coach now. I went and tried to train mm-hmm. and it didn't work out well. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I... I agree with James. That was a learning experience. Now, if you have something similar, like, okay, um, I don't think that was one that was that bad. Uh, you talk about that you PR'd your snatcher, your clean and jerk, and your bicep felt weird. Yeah, it wasn't the best. It wasn't the best thing you've done, but I don't I don't think that one was that bad. Yeah, so we have another situation because uh, I won't say who it was, um, but someone was going heavy on a snatch, and I told them to stop. Like, hey, your shoulders are not stable. They're moving all around. You should stop. Uh, and then I turn around and I'm, you know, talking to somebody else. And then I turn around and they attempt it again. And um, like, so that's just completely like, you know, they, they heard and they're like, oh, yeah, you're probably right. And then they're just like, oh, no, they're in it. And they just disregard what the coach says. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be a different story, too. That would be a bad decision. And so, like, in this particular case... Um, the person ended up dislocating the shoulder and, uh, uh, you know, having to have surgery and, uh, fixing some ligaments in the shoulder. Um, just like on the lift immediately after someone was like, no, that's enough. Like, stop. Um, I think if a coach tells you to stop in, in training, that means they see something and that you should probably listen to them. (laughs) I'll say, I think, I think mine was bad. Granted. James happened to walk in right after I dislocated my shoulder, but I shouldn't have done it. And Walt was there and Walt came over and was like, Hey Tyree, you should, you should stop. Cause it was on my opener. It was my opener. I lost it behind me and my arm went numb. Like I lost it behind me and my arm shifted and my arm went numb. And I'm thinking like, man, I have that. I know I can hit this. I know I can't this lift. I, that's, I have not felt that good going into a comp ever. And I know I can hit it, but I couldn't pick my arm up and I couldn't go up, but there were like two, three other people at that same number. So I grabbed an empty women's barbell in the back and I kept doing muscle snatches and it hurt like hell every rep. So I just kept doing it until it stopped clicking. And then I hit one and it didn't click, but it hurt like shit. I'm like, fuck it. I'm fine. I'm fine. And Walt came over. Hey, Tyree, it's probably a bad idea. You're like, you don't need to do that at this comp. I guess it's not worth it. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And now I went out and dislocate my shoulder yeah. on the next attempt. Yeah, bad decision. Right? Uh, yeah, like that was that yeah. was a bad decision. Like I, that was clearly a bad decision. I couldn't put a empty barbell, an empty women's barbell, because I couldn't pick up the men's barbell. Let's start there. I couldn't pick up a men's barbell, so I 
kept doing an empty women's barbell until my shoulder stopped clicking. And then I went out to so what was your What was your thought process? Like, what were you thinking in that exact moment when you're like, okay, there was a, I'm going to still do this. There was a bunch that day, though. Um, <clears throat> there was a lot that day. Um, it was where the comp was, the numbers I knew I could hit, who all was at the comp. It was just like a storm of everything at once. I'm like, oh, no. If it was one thing, maybe, but it was like five things that happened. It was at a gym that I used to work at. Um, The entire gym was there. It was for a state record on an opener. I'm like, oh, I have this. This is fine. I told myself, like, just hit one and then pass on the third. So it was a bunch. And I knew I could because it felt so light. Like, just hit one, move on but I shouldn't have tried to hit one. Like I, I just, I shouldn't have done it, but there was just too many things at once. I'm like, yeah, no, you'll be fine. You can make it through one left. You can make it. Oh, well. Yep. It's important to, uh, evaluate and be honest with yourself. If you can't be honest with yourself, you know, maybe even pass that decision off to your coach, talk to your coach about it. Um, yeah, it's, kind of hard to say without being in the exact situation i would like looking at it from here i would like to say like oh the long-term goal is in mind but if you're in the heat of the moment that long-term goal is probably hard to see too so i i i will say if if james was there i i i still feel like i would i would have tried to talk him into letting me do it but then if james watched me not be able to pick up the men's bar he probably would have been like no so (laughs) I, guess, I would have been like, no, nah, James, I'm fine. I'm fine. I can make one. Yeah, I can make one. We'll pass on the third. And then he would have saw me not be able to pick up an empty men's bar and be like, no, we're not doing this. So uh, it's yeah. been a few years. Oh, well, like it's, it's been yeah. a few years, but that was probably the dumb one. That was probably the bad decision. Well, the bad decision turned into a learning lesson because now you've gotten better. Yeah, now and now 90 kilos feels weird and I stop. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> All right. I think that is a good spot to uh, stop today. Um, so, Tyree, where can people find you? Tyree underscore Thor on Instagram. And George. At George81KG on Instagram or at the House Weightlifting page. All right, and www.houseofweightlifting.com. Thanks for listening, guys.